Wow, what a wonderful opportunity. And today I have your scripture readings uh, from the New Testament. It's Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And from the Old Testament, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Blessed, blessed be the reading of the word. It's my crutch. <clears throat> Good morning. We are on our way this morning. We are in Advent, the first day of the, of the, of the Christian calendar, as we are moving toward something. This passage in Isaiah is a movement toward something, isn't it? The, the mountain will be raised up, which is imagery. I love Isaiah and the imagery of Isaiah. It's filled in the music of Christmas, isn't it? Handel's Messiah is filled with stories about the way, the way. And in fact, you are Advent people. You are also people of the way. The early church the name for the uh, Christianity in the early church, before they were called Christians in Antioch, they were called the way and referred to as the way. In Acts chapter 9, several times in Acts 19, and even Paul before the Roman governor in, in Acts 24 spoke about the way. Early Jewish Christians referred to as the way, probably coming from Isaiah chapter 40, which it says, prepare the way of the Lord. And we think about that as we come into Advent. You think of John the Baptist and the, and the, and the um, story about him as preparing the way of the Lord. 
And it was probably also connected very intimately with Jesus' own declaration as I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. As we begin today, let us begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, in the silence of our hearts, the listening of our ears, the wisdom of our minds, may the word become word for us. In Christ's name and by his power, we pray. Amen. I specially like uh, verse 4 in Isaiah 2, and that's kind of where our focus will be. It says, he will judge between nations and arbitrate, arbitrate between many peoples, it says in the one version, but I think it's more appropriately and connected to our culture right now with the struggles is say, he will arbitrate between many races. They shall beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. An alternative way, a new way. Well, actually, the original way, the right way for those who believe. It is all the more, all more poignantly beautiful coming in this era of intense anxiety, when through unrepentant injustices, terrorism, and war, we live with much less expectation of peace on earth and goodwill in any way. Maybe the first thing we should do this morning as we enter um, uh, uh, Advent season is let this passage in Isaiah, let it wash over us to allow ourselves to become baptized in the beauty until we are completely saturated, until we become infatuated with these beautiful hopes and dreams, utterly head over heels in love with the way of God. If we do that, if we find that the Bible words will meet up with a deep yearning within our own hearts for complete reconciliation, for a world where violence and injustice and war are banished forever, what an image for us to move about. What a difference it would make. We need to nurture our spirits on such Bible passages, don't we? Allow them to mesh with a sacred part of our being. If we gave as much time to dwelling on these kind of words as we do our screens during the big game or our political or financial news feed or the scrolling of the scandalous love lives of celebrities, then we would begin to live more deeply and more creatively, wouldn't we? If we gave as much time to Bible promises as we do to brooding over injuries that we sustain, 
or might sustain or how to get revenge, then maybe we would become like entrepreneurs in the reconciliation and healing business. It would change our focus and our center completely. It may be partly true, as a wise guy has said, that we are what we eat. It is also true that we are what we read, what we scroll, what, we, what images we think about, talk about, and dream about. The soup of thoughts in which we spend our days will always shape us. I think about that in terms of what should we be feeding on? I love Eugene Peterson's book. The title of the book is Eat This Book. And he's talking actually about scripture. The Bible gives us the best possible images and the best possible thoughts and dreams if we become like these sacred pages, then we are among the most happy and fulfilled and centered people in the world. They shall beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Notion, a nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. If we update it, it would say, they shall not turn their killer drones. They will turn their killer drones into flying medical drops and their warships into freighters of food. Nation shall not fire rocket against nation. Neither shall they train armies anymore. Ponder for a moment a world where Arab and Jew live as sisters and brothers, where indigenous nations and relatively recent arrivals together live together in justice and love, where the tribes of the Balkans and of Africa and Ireland and Indonesia, of Iraq and Afghanistan, Pakistan and India, China and Fiji no longer maintain their ongoing fears and resentments of rage. Think about a world where there is no longer a need for armies or secret police, no more razor wire, prison compounds, or gray jails. Hmm. Think about a world where the billions of dollars spent on armaments are diverted to feeding and clothing and housing and teaching and healing the peoples of the world. Think long about a world where all our neighbors and every individual is treated with intrinsically, as intrinsically precious, where the vulnerable can leave their doors unlocked without anxiety and the ordinary people can walk on the streets of, at night without fear. Sounds like Montana. Not really. Uh, but <laughs> as I, this time of year when it gets colder, I remember the time, one of the biggest change when I came over, I pastored for 16 years in, in Montana, in Sealy Lake, Montana, and uh, near Missoula. And when it got cold, it got cold. 
And uh, when you went into the grocery store or when you went into the post office or anywhere, you kept the car running. Can you imagine that in Seattle? <laughs> that was one of the first things I had to learn uh, when I uh, came here is, no, no, you cannot leave your condo doors open. And uh, let alone um, your car running. They always, I, when I first arrived here, they were saying, do you have an electric car? We see a, a, a plug that's coming out of the front. It was, had nothing to do with the car being electric. It was a heat plug uh, for the, for, so your car didn't freeze and break um, the engine. But think about that in terms of you don't have the anxiety. Think about Christ and his way. He shall judge between nations and arbitrate between many races. They shall beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Promises, promises, not pipe dreams. Promises. This alternative way will happen. Isaiah's hope are not sentimental pipe dreams, but, a grounded, but grounded in ultimate truth. They speak of the glory that lies ahead of us, not a pretty impossibility, but a divine certainty. By the indomitable grace of God, it is our ultimate destiny. By the indomitable grace of God. And outside that destiny, there is nothing. Add in Jesus to these images. Add to such visions with great pro the, from the great prophets, Jesus with his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus and his inclusive love. Jesus and his unique ministry of reconciliation. Jesus and his death and resurrection. Add the promise that Christ will come again and gloriously consummate that which has been launched and sustained by his Spirit. Add the visions of revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Then I heard a voice speaking from the heavenly throne. Look, now God lives among human beings. God makes God's home among them. They will be his people and he their God. God will wipe away every tear. And there, and they shall no, and there will be no more death or mourning or sadness or pain. The world of the past is done and gone. This is a robust biblical hope. It gives us an, a view of the way. And it's an alternative way that, of, that, um, that course offered by either the faith, um, as alternative to either the faith of ev uh, ev evolutionary optimists or cynical 
widespread secular pessimists or the payback mentality of those entrenched in bitterness. All, all, our alternative of the way is a sure thing. Our hope is rooted in the nature of God as preached by the prophets and revealed in Jesus Christ. Share that dream. Stake our, your hopes on this mighty hope. Feast your eyes on the vision of the future. Live in this biblical environment. Share the Bible's sense of time and destiny. Dare, not, dare I say, get drunk on the thought of unbounded possibilities. Yes, get intoxicated with this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Then maybe in the joyful meeting between the word of God and our souls, there will come the impetus to live towards this holy promise. It's not enough just to be a dream and dream the dream and celebrate the hope. You know, I can go to Disneyland for that. If I simply need, if it's simply good feelings and sentimentality, I can go to Disneyland for that. Actions must follow. Hope, like faith and love, without works is dead. The grand vision should inspire us to begin, begin living bits of the future now. That is, loving, that is loving as we are loved by God. Fighting for the end of injustices, taking our stand with the poor, the meek, the merciful, and the abused, and forgiving those who dis, uh, despitefully use us. We are an Advent people today, children of the way, gathered around a glorious hope. We come together as Christians to share the higher vision, be empowered to do what we, can, what we can do to bring more of the new heaven and earth into existence. Any religious vision that does not lead to willing discipline in our lives is not of Christ. One of the most disturbing moments of my ministry I was a student seminarian working as an intern in a church, and there was a, a youth event and gathering, and I was among the leaders of that, and in that gathering I was to lead a discussion on the theme of some social justice issues and focus. And early in the discussion, a couple of dominant voices put the view that the world was in a hopeless mess, the only solution in their minds was to just pray more for the return of Christ. And Christian social activism was basically misguided, hopeless. They urged a chain of prayer among the young to plead for the urgent coming of the Lord, the only solution. Either because of their vehemence or because of my poor leadership, I could not get the group to move beyond that point, and I went home very discouraged. Maybe I might have expected to find that among 
some of the older folk in the church kind of resigned to the fact that they had tried so many times and so many things and got battered and bruised, but it horrified me that it was so amongst the young. Also, in my upbringing, I came up with a fundamentalist background. Now, I want to say this. I, you know, it's an easy thing to set up something in your youth and, and then knock it down. I just am grateful that I was raised in a Christian home. And, um, but the fundamentalism uh, way often had this escapism kind of thing to disengage. Let the world go to hell in a handbasket and uh, just wait for the rapture. And, uh, but also about this idea of, you know, knocking that down and everything. Um, it was uh, my philosophical theology professor, Jack Rogers, at Fuller that always said to me, beware of arrogance that you have all the right ways and, and so forth. He said, be, do not be, um, just be humble. Remember that every one of us carries a bit of heresy in our back pocket. I, I loved that line. But escapist theology, let's not get dirty, but simply wait for the rapture. Get out of this place, pie in the sky, by and by. Do not engage with the world. Stay safe in the enclosure. No, sitting around in cozy piety or re resignation, disengaged with a fortress mentality, us against the world, so it's better that we hole up here Stay safe and warm in this community, waiting for the coming of Christ. It's not the biblical way. It's not the way. There's always two prongs to our response to the Christian vision of a new heaven and a new earth. They are these. There is the way of practical activity, of baskets, that go to the homeless. Serving Christ by loving our neighbors and fighting for their values in every possible way, whenever possible, socially and politically. Sermon on the Mount stuff. Christ and the prophets permit us to do nothing less than engage in this way. And the second prong of activity that comes out of this vision is, I hate to use this word, it's, it, it makes us cringe, it's the way of evangelism. Doing our best to share the good news of, the God, of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Praying, working, speaking, hoping, living the faith so that others will find the power of divine love in their lives. To be true to Christ, one cannot do less than this. That's what the way did in the early church. Luke, who wrote Luke in Acts, we see that in him. We see that in Paul. I don't know if you know that, that the church and the early church didn't come up with this terminology about evangelism or good news, gospel. It was actually a Roman program. 
the Romans sent out evangelists of the empire. And they would go in and declare Pax Romana, the peace established by Rome. They didn't tell the fine print there. It's pretty brutal <laughs> how they do that. But doesn't the world do that today? Give us a hope of peace and security if we follow this way. But that was then by Paul and the church said, and Jesus, that you are to spread the good news of the real gospel. And for us to be baptized with the vision of Jesus and the prophets empowers us to engage and be his witnesses to the ends of the world. They had the Roman Empire, they had the armies of Rome, they had all, all of that. And then Jesus said to a small group, you are going to share the gospel. By the power of God, you will be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Let us be baptized with the vision of Jesus. The grand and eternal way has begun. We are among those very grace-lucky people for whom the alternative way, the grand and eternal way, has begun. Yet to expose yourself to this world of hope is to risk pain. The damned do not get involved. Like those strangers on a street or in the park who see but turn away as an elderly woman is assaulted. The reason when interviewed, I did not want to get involved. That's not the Christian answer. And now is the hour for the believers of the New Testament. The latter days have already arrived. Christ inaugurated the new era. They were living in the end times of the latter days. This is the era when hopes are to become realized and promises are to be begin make, being made good. In this Advent season of the year when we witnessed humanity do something pretty, some pretty vile things around us now, let us keep that biblical vision alive. Revel in it. Throw yourself into it. The Christ who came to Bethlehem still comes, still comes, and will come to consummate all that is promised. He will judge it between nations and arbitrate between many races. They shall beat plowshares into, into um, swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war anymore. So I repeat the opening words of this sermon. Maybe the first thing that we need to do with this passage is to let it wash over us. To allow ourselves to become baptized in its beauty until we are completely saturated saturated and utterly infatuated with the promises of God. And all God's people say, amen. and amen.